Hey friends, it's Andy Jenkins. I am back at the Hilltop and giving you another, really kind of the follow-up on the previous talk, which had everything to do with identity. And we started in this kind of strange place saying that in order to understand who you really are, in order for me to understand who I really am, we really need to understand what Jesus came to do first, which was take us to the Father. Now, I believe that a lot of times, a lot of people are struggling, a lot of people are chasing things, chasing stuff, chasing accolades, chasing position, chasing relationships, chasing to fill some void inside of themselves to create an identity because they don't really know who they fundamentally are. And that's rooted back in who they were designed to be. It's rooted in who they are in Christ, yet to understand Christ, we've got to understand really what he came to do. So that's why we started there. By the way, before we go farther, let me just interrupt right here and say this, and this is kind of the beauty of doing this without a script, is uh, if you'll go down into the show notes, into the links down below, I would love for you to download the new LifeLift app. Now, I'm teaching you today some of the information that is in the LifeLift workbook. It's in the LifeLift. There's a hardback book. Uh, there are four smaller books based on that book. Uh, Identity is the first one. That's really what I'm teaching you from. That's from part one of the big book. Uh, the next book, part two, is Presence, Living in the Presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, part three is uh, expression. So you start expressing your gifts. You start uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. Part number four is perspective. And that really kind of loops us back to where we start. We just continue doing this whole thing over and over and over as we grow forward. Uh, all of the links to all of that information are down below. But I want to zone you in on the app. The app is where the videos for all of this are going to go. The app is where some of the assessments and the instruments that you can use to really define, um, let's say it like this, a test, an assessment, a skills worksheet, that's not really going to create an identity. It's not going to really define who you are. So often though, those tools, they're helpful. They're just, they're just starting points. And they start confirming information and they start giving you kind of a track to run on. They, again, point you in the right direction. The, the ultimate confirmation of your gifts and skills and you know, really kind of your core identity of who you were wired and created to be, that really comes from the confirmation of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It comes from you feeling fulfilled in what God has ordained for you to do. Because if you walk in that purpose, all of a sudden you come alive. It comes really uh, as you listen to friends and people that are close to you saying, hey, you know what, I, th I think this is it. And you got people that are close that are listening to the Holy Spirit as well. They're watching as you're living this out. They're seeing the joy in you. They're seeing the fruit of all of this. I, I really think that there are so many layers there. Uh, but those tests, even though they're, they're not the end game, they really do help you get started. All that information is in the app below. By the way, on the app also, uh, a couple of my audiobooks, completely free. Uh, that includes the Soul Wholeness audiobook about emotional health and wholeness. Uh, that also includes the Advance audiobook that'll really help you practically plan and organize your day. Uh, face it, if you can't budget, manage your time, your calendar, uh, oh goodness, like, it really becomes hard to live out 
those things that you really feel called to do because you're struggling, straining, getting everything done that you've got to do. And so that's why we get very practical in all of that. All right, let me let me shift gears back. Okay, that was really kind of, I'm in my office. I've got so many notifications. Uh, all the Apple devices are going slap off here. Anyway. Okay, so part number two of identity is this. It's we've got to shift not just from understanding uh, what Jesus first came to do, which was to take us to the Father, to show us who the Father is, to make sure that we've got all that sorted right in, in our mind, um, which I really think the thief, the devil, the enemy distorts. He doesn't want you to understand who God is because if you understand that God is for you, not against you, if you really comprehend that God is on your side, that you're on his side. I don't want to get too semantical about all of that. If you really see that he is a loving father that is for you, then you're going to be less likely to trust him. You, you think back to the Garden of Eden, the first subtle, nuanced temptation wasn't to eat that fruit. It was really to question the identity and the nature of God and the relationship that Adam and Eve had with him. Is he really good? Did he really say, is he actually looking out for you? Or does he know that when you kind of break rank and do your own thing, that something better and bigger that he's holding you from or holding from you is going to be experienced by you. That's really the importance of understanding that Jesus came to show us who the Father is. So, Because that, that's, that's always in question. Uh, that's in question in our culture even now. And so that's definitely something that we've got to, I would say, nail down. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever nail it down. I think you got to settle it in your heart and then you continue searching and mining and seeing the goodness of God and you continue walking it out. Now, here's the next thing that Jesus came to do. He came to show you not only who God is, he came to show you who you are. And so here's kind of where we're headed. In the person Jesus, when you see Jesus walking on planet Earth, you actually see a living embodiment, a picture of what God the Father is like, of what he would say, what he would do in any given situation. You also see a picture of you and how you can respond, of how you can say, of how you can do in any given situation. Here's the issue. So often we don't know that or we forget that. And so there's this phenomenon. I've seen it Oh, maybe the last five, six, eight years, just as I've been paying attention to it. I'm, I'm sure it existed before that, because I, I remember now that I see it, when I was growing up in the church, I've heard this before. You, you might have heard it. People would say this, the disciple with whom they most identify is the disciple Peter. And when you ask them why, it is, is the reason you identify with Peter is that because in the book of Acts, Peter stands up at Pentecost and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people in a moment are saved? Um, is the reason you identify with Peter because in the book of Acts 3, he looks at a lame man and he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And immediately the man walks with, without Peter even praying for healing. 
If you ask, is the reason you identify with Peter? Because in Acts 5, people figure out his routine and they move the sick and the impaired and people who are diseased somewhere where his shadow might fall on them so that they would be healed. Is that the reason you identify with Peter? Or if you say, is the reason you identify with Peter because in Acts 9, he raises the dead. He speaks life and says to one of the early patrons of the church who served widows by making clothing for them. The church was devastated when she died. Is the reason you identify with him because he said to her, arise, and she literally woke up off of her deathbed? And people would say, no, 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 no. The reason I identify with Peter is because he seems to always put his foot in his mouth, or he seems to fail, or he gets things right, and then all of a sudden they're wrong. And I would say, I believe that you identify with the incorrect version of Peter. Because the image we see then of Peter is a Peter who did not yet know who he really was. And it shows me that you, and I don't mean this uh, pretentiously at all, because I'm still working through this. As as you might have known, uh, in other places I've written down that I actually write and explore the things that I feel like I need to know, not necessarily the things I've mastered or expertised. That That's not necessarily even a word, expertise. But they said, you might not know who you are if that's the issue. So let's go way back. The first time Jesus meets Peter is in John chapter 1. It is a relatively uh, insignificant meeting unless you see what's going on underneath the service. In John 1.42, uh, Jesus meets him. He looks at him and says, hey, you, you are Simon. You're the son of John. You will be called Cephas. Some translations actually... Uh, translate that word Cephas to Peter. You you are Simon, so Jesus confirms your name is Simon. That's going to be important. You are now called Peter. Now, here's what's important in that culture particularly. We, we kind of do this now, but in that day and age specifically, they would name their children based on an identity that they wanted to impart to them. And so uh, you read years ago, maybe the prayer of Jabez. Jabez's name means pain. Somehow he might have been born in pain. Somehow it might have been a very trying circumstance for his family. Pain. You, you read all about names. God, God changes Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. It it was really imparting destiny upon him. You may likely do this with your children's names. Sometimes we just pick them because we like the sound of it, but sometimes we pick them to name them after a person that was a great person, that really uh, was a patriarch or a matriarch in our family, or we name them because of uh, some kind of character that we wish for them to carry. Well, Simon's parents had named him Simon, which means reed, twig, shifting sand. In other words, if Simon behaves, acts anything like his parents named him, it means that he is undependable. So that means he might change his position on something from one moment to the next. It means he's unreliable. 
So he would likely say he's going to do one thing, but then turn around and execute the exact opposite. It means that he is unstable. His emotions might just toss him off balance. And when Jesus meets him, he says, he confirms that that's exactly who he has been. You are Simon. You are undependable. You are unreliable. You are unstable, but that's not who you're destined to be. You will be called from now on, Peter. And here's what's interesting. Jesus names him Peter. He names him, the word means rock. You don't want to build anything on sand. You desperately want to build it on rock. Jesus even told a parable about a man who built his house on sand uh, and another man who built his house on rock. Same house, same exact scenario, same exact circumstances come. The rains come, the floods rise, the house on the sand obliterated, the house on the rock stands. You don't build on sand, you do build on rock. And Jesus names Simon as rock long before we ever see the evidences of the fruit of what Jesus says is true. So you you think about Peter's story. Here are the things that happen even after Jesus names him, who he is supposed to be, rock. These are the reasons people say they most identify with Simon Peter. Uh, Matthew 8.25. You might remember this story. Jesus is coming to them, walking on the water. They presume that he's a ghost. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, command me and I will come out to you on the water. Jesus commands him and he walks on the water. And then he sinks. Um, So he exercises this great faith. It looks like rock and then all of a sudden back to sand. Peter is the one who, when Jesus asked them in Matthew 16, hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples started giving them the rundown. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say a prophet or like one of the prophets. And he says, but who do you say? And Peter's actually the one that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus remarks, he says, this is revelation, high level revelation that was actually given to you by the Father. There's no way you could have comprehended this except for the Spirit gave this to you. And then instantly Jesus says he's going to the cross and Peter begins rebuking Jesus, correcting him. And this is when Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You are mindful not of the things of God, but of the things of men. So in that instance, it looked like rock. Instantly, it moves into sand. Uh, Several chapters later at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, You might remember that Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after the Last Supper. This is after Judas has gone to betray him. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John a little bit farther than the other disciples in the garden, and he says, watch here and pray. And so those men are closer to him, and they really get to see him more bearing his soul in agony, praying uh, for another way. You know, if, if this cup could be taken away from me, not, not to face the, the pain of the cross. 
And in that instance, even though Peter has said, even if everyone abandons you, I, I will not desert you. I'll die with you. So what Peter said, he falls asleep during the time when one of his best friends and a rabbi need him the most, not once, not twice, three times. He even a couple chapters later, according to Matthew 26, 69, he denies Jesus three times. So, so all the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane there really abandon Jesus. Peter makes his way back to the courtyard to kind of watch the trial and the uh, the uh, what they're doing with Jesus by assaulting him and beating him, he, he, the scourging. He watches this from a distance. But then he begins cursing on himself and cursing, denying, swearing to God, to a slave girl, that he doesn't even know this man. He does this not once, again, not twice, three times. Again, it, it kind of looked like it might be rock. He's going back, but sand. Even after that early first Resurrection Sunday, you know, Mary Magdalene was the one. The women were the first ones to the tomb. The scripture says the disciples had locked themselves behind closed door for fear of the Jews. And by that phrase, what they mean is by for fear of the religious leaders uh, who had killed Jesus. They're afraid that they're going to be killed too. But even after that, Jesus appears to them behind a locked door, behind closed doors. Uh, remember, they went and they saw the empty tomb, but they didn't know exactly what was going on. Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus, told them that he was alive. They went, they saw the tomb. It's empty. They don't know what's going on. They locked themselves again behind the doors. Jesus appears to them behind the locked doors. Even after that, and after Jesus eats some fish and shows them his hands, shows them his side, even tells Thomas, you know, you, you can touch. Even after that, Scripture is clear in John 21 that Peter was abandoning his previous post as a disciple to go back to fishing. And the language there isn't he was just going out to fish to catch something to eat. It, it seems that, and Jesus calls him again in that moment. You know, it, it seems that he was going back to fishing as his permanent job. Okay, this seems way less like rock, way less like Peter, more like sand. And here's, here's what I make of it. I believe that the post-resurrection Peter, the one that I told you about minutes ago, the, the one who's shadow-healed people, the one who stood at Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people come to faith, the one that raised the dead, the one who would be imprisoned in Acts 4, and they would say, hey, you, you can be free, but you can't preach anymore. And then he would use the opportunity at his trial, instead of defending himself, he would use that opportunity to preach. I believe that the post-resurrection Peter is radically different than the pre-resurrection Peter and I think that most Christians, most Christ followers who would say they identify with Peter, identify wrongly with the incorrect one. They identify with the pre-resurrection Peter. Here's what's wrong with that, is you're not even called to be a pre-resurrection you. You are called to be a post-resurrection you. 
You see, it's the cross, and it's Jesus' burial in the tomb, and then it's his raising to new life that transitions everything. The cross pays for sin. It wipes it clean. It erases it. They bury him. So there is an end game to that. And then when he gets up out of the grave, he gets up out of the grave as a completely new man that starts a radically new thing for all of us. And it is the ascension after that that even makes the coming of the Holy Spirit possible. Peter is living on the front end of that. We get to live in the full manifestation of that. In fact, in the next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about baptism and how you are now, your identity included in every significant part of Christ's life because he doesn't just forgive you, he infuses you with his life. Now, here's what I believe happened. I really believe that early on in Peter's life, early on in that call to ministry, he's an adult at that point, but early on in his life with Jesus, I really believe that Jesus was looking at him and saying, because we learned about this in the previous talk, I'm going to show you who the Father is. In me, you are going to see what this un seen God that you've heard about is really like. But I'm also going to show you what you're like. And let me start off, this is just kind of how I would phrase it. Let me start off, Jesus was saying, by by identifying you not, not as who you actually are right now in the flesh, in person, who you are that you embody, how you act every single day, let me start off by identifying you by who you are from the eternal perspective. Identifying you by who you are as the person that you're going to walk into. Now, here's the problem in church world. We so often say, you've probably heard this phrase before, I I don't believe their conversion. Like, I want to see the fruit first. I mean, you you hear people say this all the time. I just don't believe, I I don't believe the apology. I want to see the behavior change. People are still all into behavior modification. Jesus was into identity transition. Just kind of say that phrase. Hope that came out right. Because if you get the identity transformed into what it's supposed to be and the person understands who they really are, the behavior will, in time, maybe not instantly, like with Peter, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all good either. It's some kind of hits and misses, and it's some some shifting, and it's it's hey, we're we're getting there, we're getting there. We're not perfect. We're not who we were. We're still getting there. It's moving forward. But Jesus shows us who he really is and who we really are. And Scripture paints this incredible picture. It says that it's it's almost like looking in a mirror so that when we look at Jesus, we see who we're designed to become. So often we look at our past for our identity of where we're going to be in the future, or we're looking at someone else kind of living this thing imperfectly. And he said, no, 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 you you look at me. When you look at me, you see who the Father is. And when you look at me, you see who you are. You see, he kind of stands in the middle there and shows us both sides of it. Okay, again, when you look at Jesus, you see who the Father is through his words 
and through his deeds. Jesus only did, and we talked about this in the previous episode, he only did, he only said exactly what the Father would say and do in any given circumstance. When you look at Jesus, you also see who you are. Here's how Paul writes it, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. That's an important image to hold on to. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it says you look at Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. It's a mirror reflection. Um, 1 John 4.17, so John was one of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. So he was one of those kind of top three. 1 John 4.17, he says this, we, we will have confidence in the day of judgment. Now, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, the, especially, goodness, you grow up in church in a very legalistic sense. You kind of get af- afraid of, what. okay, what happens when you die? Oh, gulp. Everything I did in life is going to be played on this big screen. Some people actually think that. I, w- I was taught that in a, at a youth group once, more than once. You're like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't want everybody to see all my sins at this judgment. Right? That would be, man, that would be radically embarrassing. Here's what John says. No, 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 no. You have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world, he's, t- he's talking about right now, in this world, we are like him. Who's he talking about? You are like Jesus. You have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world, you are just like Jesus. Now, I know you'd say, well, no, I'm not. I know what I did yesterday. Or I know how I smarted off to that person. I mean, I know how I reacted when that person cut me off in traffic. Oh, goodness, I know how I fibbed or how I uh, fudged that conversation to make myself look better. Or I know how I was prideful and posturing. Or I know how I, I mean, you just fill in the blank, how I imperfectly parented. You, you know what you did. But this is back to the exact way Jesus responded to Peter. You are Simon. <laughs> You're acting out, not quite who you are eternally designed to be, but I'm going to go ahead and call you who you are designed to be, and we are going to imperfectly plot our way forward, and we're going to get there. And I'm going to grade you now based on as if you are already there. Read the verse like that. In this world, you are like him, so you have confidence in the day of judgment. 1 John 4, 17. Now, you know, when we were rewriting the LifeLift material and putting that whole project together, originally when when Dad did it uh, 25 years ago, it started with just spiritual gifts, just people going in and finding, you know, what they were created and designed to do. And, and of course, I've been very clear, he, he layered other things around that, instructional obedience and your natural gifts and talents and, and how your personality works through all of that. So don't extract that away from it at all. But when we were putting the information back together, I, I really thought we need to start with this core issue of identity, in part because some of the things that I taught you last week, previous episode, some of the things that I'm teaching right now, I don't think a lot of people know. Here's why I think that, because I grew up in the church and I didn't know it. And, and I, I had a great pastor. My, my dad was the teacher. Now, for sure, I didn't hear everything that he taught. I forgot a lot that he taught. 
you know, he taught a lot when I was growing up, when I was real little. So I was in the youth group or I was, you know, in a kid kind of drawing during church, not paying his attention as closely as I would when I was an adult. But I thought, man, if, if I'm kind of just now grasping this, we need to make sure that we circle back and we give everybody this information because we don't want people to pursue their gifts or their purpose in order to discover their worth or their value as an individual. We want the things that you do that are with your gifts, the things that you achieve because of your purpose, whether that's writing a book or teaching a course or starting a business or going back to school to learn a new trade or a skill or God using you somewhere in ministry or the marketplace or wherever it is or both or any or all, we want you to do that as an overflow of who you are with this eternal value embedded strongly inside of you with that overflowing. That value is found in your identity. It's found, it's located in who you are, not anything that you do. The problem, I think, and this is the problem for me personally, I think it's similar for a lot of people, is that we so often forget what we spiritually look like. We forget that image in the mirror. And when we forget the image in the mirror, it reverts us back to identifying with the pre-resurrection version of ourselves or the pre-resurrection version of Peter. Oh, I'm just like that. I'm undependable. I'm shifting sand rather than remembering the post-resurrection version. You see, look at yourself in the mirror and then later in the day, physically, you catch a glimpse of yourself in a window and you see your reflection and you're having a bad hair, you just, you fix it. You're like, oh, oh, that's out of alignment. That's not who I'm supposed to be. Fix it. Or, you know, you got something on your face or, you you know, your shirt, shirt's untucked or it's tucked the wrong way or you, you just, you fix it because you know what you're physically supposed to look like. And you don't take these anomalies as issues that suddenly change your identity and go, well, I'll just revert to that. I guess I'll just always do bad hair. I guess I'll always just walk around with something on my face. I guess I'll just... No, you know that those are the exceptions to the norm. Spiritually, though, we somehow take the exceptions as the norm rather than continuing to push towards the reality of post-resurrection identity. And here's what I'm saying. In the same way that we recognize ourselves physically and realize when there's an exception, we should also recognize ourselves spiritually. There's a great verse, James, Jesus' little brother. How would you like to be Jesus' little earthly brother? Could you imagine the conversations in that household or the thoughts in that household? You know, why can't you be like your big brother, Jesus? <laughs> well, because he's perfect, right? Or, yeah, Jesus, you always think you're right. Like, could you imagine... The pressure of being that younger sibling. Well, this brother that initially taunted Jesus, according to John 7, man, he eventually got it right and became this powerhouse of a leader full of grace, grit, wisdom in the early church. Uh, I'll talk about him maybe in uh, several weeks. James 1, he writes this. Catch this imagery. If anyone is a hearer of the word, say, hear the scripture and not a doer, 
He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself. He goes away. He immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So let's just paraphrase. James says, if you read the scripture and then you don't do it, it's just as if you looked at yourself in a physical mirror, you walked away, and instantly you forgot who you were. He says, no, nobody would physically do that. Nobody forgets what they look like. Well, physically. Now, I used to read this verse, and I would think, goodness, this is a verse all about behaving. This is a verse about reading something in the Scripture, oh, you should be, and then making sure you you do it. Or this is a verse all about, hey, you should not do that, and you know, well, you don't. This is a verse about that kind of thing. But, but I, I don't know that it is. James talks about a law of liberty and life and freedom. Rules don't necessarily bring a freedom when we're so concerned about the rule keeping that we forget our identity. I think right here he's saying, he's saying, don't forget who you are. Go away and live out the post-resurrection reality of who you are. Don't live the shifting sand model. Live the rock version. You see? This is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 3.18. You see Jesus? You're being transformed into that image in the mirror. 1 John 4.17, in this world, we don't have to fear judgment Because in this world right now, you are like him. And James says, hey, don't look at yourself in the mirror. Walk away and spiritually forget. Don't forget who you are. You see, let me me give you the review. Last talk, Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Colossians 1, 15, it says he's the exact representation of God. Hebrews 1, 3, he's the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 says the fullness of the deity, it literally lives and dwells inside of him. So there's something that we've got to understand about that side of the equation to grasp. But this side of the equation is equally as important. That when Jesus called Peter years ago, hey, hey, Simon, like that that's who you've been, undependable unreliable, wavering, shifty in your faith, unfirm in your foundation. That's who you've been. But let me tell you this. My name is Jesus, he says, and I'm here to show you what the Father is like. But while we're at it, I'm here to show you who you actually are Two, and with that, let's just start right here. You're not the wavering, waffling guy that you seem to be. You're not your past, no matter how present that past seems to be. I've designed you for greatness, and when you look at me, you're not only going to see who the Father is, you're going to see you too. Do you see it? Because when you see that, that is changes everything. I'm going to close right there. Here's what I want you to do. I would love for you to go down to the show notes below. Take a look. If you want to read more, the 
identity book is the place to start. Uh, go right there. I will continue updating the LifeLift webpage uh, with more information as we start rolling it out, as we start doing the course, and as we get the video and everything up place all of that for you. One of the best things that you can do too is download the app. It is absolutely free. Yes, there is some paid content in there, but right now there are two audiobooks completely free. The podcast, this podcast goes in there early, totally free. It's an easy way to go through 21 day challenge to move from where you are to where you're designed to be. Totally free, five minutes a day, life transformation, that's there all kinds of video courses free in that app. I would encourage you to take advantage of that because as all of the material for the LifeLift course comes out, everything to support you in that journey of finding your purpose, living out your passion, living out your call, that information will all be there. As I close out, here's my prayer for you, is that the Lord would bless you he would keep you, he'd be gracious to you, he would shine his face of amazing favor upon you, that in this moment, you would see him calling you, identifying you as he did Simon. Yeah, that was the past, that is who you were, but that is not who you are. You are a mirror reflection of the one that saved you, the one that loves you, the one that claims you as his own. May you see, may you sense, may you feel that grace, peace. I'll see you soon.